This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. The following is a presentation from your friends at Forcecast.net. It's the Forcecast. Home to the official podcast of the Force.net. I feel the Force. And RebelScum.com. You Rebel Scum. Here they come! This is the Forcecast Clone Wars Roundtable. You fought in the Clone Wars? Information, commentary, and Kyle. discussion about Star Wars. The yeah, Jamie's stepping Wars. out, so we get really quiet in a second. Making magic, people. Making magic. Cody, pull back! All troops, pull back! It's the Force Cast Clone Wars Roundtable. I have a bad feeling about this. Begun the Clone War has. Incoming! All batteries return fire. Go, go, go! You know, I was watching this show over the weekend. Square jawed people. Funny accents. Liberal political machinations going on. I thought I was watching the first half of season three of the Clone Wars. No, it was the Kennedy miniseries. On TV. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> Why aren't I watching the Clone Wars? What's going on? <laughs> uh, you're in the right place to talk about Star Wars, the Clone Wars. We're wrapping up season three right here on the Forcecast Clone Wars Roundtable. So glad to be back with you. Two episodes to talk about tonight. And uh, let's get right to it. First of all, with me, as always, my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Jimmy, season three. It's it's the end. It's already, it just seems like we were talking about the first episode of season three. No doubt about that, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Yeah, it is hard to believe we're talking about the final two episodes from season three. Padawan Lost and Wookiee Hunt. These episodes were much hype leading up to their premiere, especially because of the Clone Wars debut of... Uh, Mm, particularly famous, well-known Wookiee. Was it worth the build-up? We'll talk about all that tonight on the Clone Wars Roundtable. Also joining us, we got our all-stars tonight from the UK and RalphMcCorry.com. That's why we're recording this a little bit earlier than normal. We want to we be good to our buddy, Paul Bateman. Paul, welcome back. Hey, folks. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for not keeping me awake till four in the morning. Hey, uh, if Athena's there, I need Athena to take that pen from you. She's taking that that pen, <laughs> the, the, the clicky pen. This is what you hear all the time from Paul. Thank you, Athena. Like you, you know? Yeah, right. No need to be nervous. Believe me. Uh, also joining us from location, and you probably heard him a little bit, <laughs> a little bit at the beginning of the show. What was going on there, Kyle Newman? God knows. He said he's calling from a trailer somewhere. What's going on? If he's calling from an iPad in a trailer in the middle of nowhere, what's going on? Kyle Newman. I'm in North Carolina. <laughs> Jamie's shooting a television show, and I had to help put a 
a uh, costume bracelet on her hand before she went to set. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, we really appreciate uh, you taking the time. We know you're really busy and you're traveling a lot these days and you make time for us here on the Force Cast. And we really, really appreciate it. Seriously. And we appreciate uh, it. <laughs> All right. Well, this is it, guys. Let's give you the tale of the tape, the rundown. This is the end of season three. We're talking about episodes 65 and 66. Um, original air date, April 1st, 2011. No, no April Fool's jokes here. These were, this was legit. Uh, both episodes written by Bonnie Mark and, get this, directed by Dave Filoni. So uh, really glad to see Dave uh, back in the director's seat. Um, I can't imagine him wanting to miss these episodes. And I got to say, I'm very, very fresh uh, having just watched these and at the outset, I want to say the best two of the year, in my opinion, the best two of the year. Wow. And I don't know. I mean, it's, it's tough to say because I don't, know if I'm, I don't know if I would say the best story of the year. But as far as the look, the feel, the pacing, um, you know, animation, all that stuff, just there were several times, you know, I've said this before. And it's like every time I say this, then a couple of weeks go by and I say it again. I can't believe I'm watching this. This is a weekly series. I'm not seeing anything. You know, the, the, the folks out there making television, um, they've got, you know, they've had three years now of the Clone Wars and nobody is doing anything that comes close to this in, in my book, in animation. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. Um, well, yeah. It's by well, it, far the greatest animated show on television. I would say in terms of scope in any genre, in any subject matter, it's the biggest show. I mean, can you think of anything bigger landscapes, a bigger cast of characters on television, period? No. I, uh, I can't. What'd you say, Jimmy SpongeBob? SpongeBob. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, this ain't no SpongeBob, let me tell you. This is, I, I, I don't... You know, you asked the question, is, is this the, the best animated show on television as far as uh, the, the groundbreaking way that it's all being presented? I mean, you, you really don't see this stuff outside of a movie theater. And I don't think I know enough about what actually is out there, but from what I've seen, nothing holds a candle to what we've seen, especially in the second half of season three of The Clone Wars. Yeah, yeah. The show winning awards is baffling to me, and I think it comes from people having an idea in their head uh, when they saw maybe the film and they weren't fully adjusted to the look and the style because, you know, Star Wars is so ingrained in us and all of a sudden we're supposed to accept Star Wars with a whole new presentation. And I think that initial reaction is what is preventing people from giving it the kudos it deserves. And I really think it's almost a similar thing to what happened with episode one as people didn't know how to interpret it. It was so dissociated from the other three films. And now the only thing people will ever, you know, the only thing they'll ever keep it synonymous with is that they didn't like it. And that's what I feel like with this show, the outside people that don't know it, that aren't experiencing it, they're kind of looking at this show and being like, uh, but they don't know it. And that's, what's amazing. And I think that's why it's not getting the kudos it deserves, but hopefully, you know, it's winning more people over and people are, joining in on the fun because it's a hell of a lot of fun and i think you know season four is just going to be incredible and i think if i didn't occasionally season three ended so yeah well you know what i mean let's let's be given that this is the end of uh of season three i think it's only fair that we we spend a little time 
looking back. And Kyle, you said, you know, we. I said at the beginning, you know, I made the joke about the, you know, the beginning of season three. Um, Kyle, you you referenced, you know, the the latter part of season three. I mean, in all fairness, the first half of this season was not that impressive. I mean, in terms of story, it was it seemed very slow. It seemed um, some of the episodes I would I would say categorize as, as quite pointless really kind of a wasted opportunity. You know, it's like every week they have the opportunity to give us star Wars and some of them were like, eh, you know, I could have, I'd have been fine never having seen that, you know? So, sure. but the latter half was, has just been home run after home run after home run after home run. But there were some phenomenal episodes in the first half, which are some of my favorite ever. I don't I remember them. <laughs> oh, arc troopers. Right. Yeah. 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 Those were okay. Yeah. Those were okay. Yeah. It's the best action I think they've ever done on the show. Scale, you had aqua troopers, you had underwater, you had rain, everything was going on. That was a very difficult episode to balance. It had really had a lot of scale. Um, and I think Assassin, Assassins, what was it, Assassin? That one I loved for the simplicity. And yeah, then we can fast forward to. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, there were, there were, yes, there were a couple, but for the most part, it, it started off kind of weak. And so I don't really, I don't blame some of the criticism. But just, you know, the um, the look of the series and what it's doing. I mean, Jimmy used the word groundbreaking, and I think it it truly, truly is. Um, these two episodes, absolutely no exception. Though I got to ask Paul, Paul, what were you sitting there thinking? Were you thinking uh, Predator throughout these episodes or were you thinking Planet of the Apes or both? <laughs> I know you're a big you're a big apes fan. Oh, yeah. I love Planet of the Apes. Well, the old the old ones before Tim Burton turned it into something ridiculous. <laughs> but uh <laughs> but but um, no um definitely wasn't thinking about the apes uh predators is yeah did spring to mind just with them kind of dropping everybody on the planet and and hunting but um yeah amazing episodes and i absolutely i was so so happy to see chewbacca turn up i mean i've been saying i think since right early on in season one i was this show needs wookies this show needs wookies so i'm glad they finally you know managed to to pull it off like they did um, I think I think uh, just just the fact that the you know they're finally in the series now for me kind of just takes it up a notch. And I know we were talking a few weeks ago about whether or not there was a turning point in the Clone Wars. And for for me, having a uh, an original trilogy character like Chewbacca turn up in in the Clone Wars is it really really makes a difference to me in terms of how legitimate I sort of see this as a as a piece of of Star Wars. Mm. I mean, not not that I've ever sort of seen it as something any any less legitimate but this really really kind of cements it and makes me think you know now this is this is the real thing i mean these two episodes if i if i'd been able to glimpse these episodes in 77 uh, i'd just think i would have spent the last 30 years smiling (laughs) well i actually i thought about predator the whole way and at the very beginning uh even before i knew what the setup was uh, or what the you know what the main plot was going to be involving these uh, you know this this hunting scenario where these prisoners are dropped and blah blah blah. Just when Ahsoka was on Felucia, back when she was on Felucia, and she said that she she sensed something, and just the way the camera was working, the different angles up in the trees, and just the, the, I was like, oh, that reminds me of of the, the first Predator movie um, when 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 they're yeah. being stalked. So I had no idea that that was you know setting it up. So I got that vibe the whole time. I mean. Um, also, just the way that the Trandoshans, you know, kind of communicated with one another and that kind of 
kind of tribal, barbaric kind of way. It just it, it very much reminded me of of, of hey, the Predator characters. Did, I can do the, the trend sound. Yo, please. <laughs> oh, <laughs> pretty good. It used that is pretty good. Predator, but what? Now, now it's Trandoshan. Although you know what, I kind of thought that the Trandoshans reminded me of the Velociraptors in Jurassic Park too. Just what I was going to say, Jason. The, yeah, their yeah, warning call was was barking. Yeah, the barking. Right, right, right. Like dino people, they were like capable sleaze stacks. <laughs> capable sleaze stacks. I like that. I like that. You That's know, good. As far as the Trandoshans go, I really liked how there were several different individual Trandoshans and not just a group of background characters that were all identical to each other. Yeah. It seemed like they all had their own look. They all had their own personalities. And I like how their growls and lizard shrieks were mixed into the English dialogue because you guys remember mm-hmm. some fans were complaining last season when Bosk was speaking English. And I think the mixture of the lizard noises with the English worked really, really well. And then I also noticed that the Trandoshans had their traditional hand with three claws, like how we saw Bosk in Empire Strikes Back, unlike how they were representative with a normal five-fingered hand on Ganocht. Oh, so, I don't remember that. The, oh, he, had, nice. he had five, Ganocht had five fingers, and then these guys all had, had four. He had four or five, maybe. But I think the uh, Trandoshans typically just have the three claws. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like that, too. I mean, and, and I... Of course, people can say, oh, yeah, sure, Jason, sure, you saw all this stuff. But, I mean, I honestly, I didn't look at the episode guide, and I spotted the Gorn reference. There was one particular Trandoshan that was dressed very similarly to the Gorn <laughs> from the classic Star Trek episode. The son, I can't think of his name. Do you guys remember the son that is killed by Ahsoka? I don't know if he has a name. Um, Steve. I don't have it. For- Steve? <laughs> 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 but did you notice that he basically had Han Solo <laughs> pants, but they were cutoffs into shorts? But oh. they they were they were Han's Blue pants. Stripe. Yeah, they were Han's pants, and they had the the uh, the yellow the yellow uh, you know uh, decorative striping down the side. Uh, Boy, but it was like know, cutoff versions. Han Solo's wardrobe is off limits <laughs> to no one. First Lando, and now some <laughs> jungle planet. <laughs> I was all up in that closet too. You gotta, for, you can't forget that. Who was all up in the closet? Dash Rendar and the entire cast <laughs> of Republic is rated on solo. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I forgot about that. Yeah, his I was re- waiting for somebody with a Gorn thing. I was waiting for somebody's shirt to get ripped. You know, like oh yeah, like Kirk's shirt always got ripped. Dun 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> a, a dude reference from. Uh, um, Big Lebowski. Was it? Yeah, the guy with he has the orange glasses, and he was a shorter, stockier one, and he has a hunting jacket and shorts, and um, oh, it was he was supposed to be like John Goodman, you know. And, it, and I think <laughs> Dave talked about it in the e, uh, Entertainment Weekly interview, where he also mentions Ben Quarneros has a very good uh, probability of showing up in the near. <laughs> yeah, we got to get we got to get that NFL strike taken care of, Kyle. <laughs> Whatever strings you can pull there. I do have to say, you know, looking forward to season four, is that Entertainment Weekly was talking about Ben Quadnera. Look, there's something in the water. There's so, you've started something, my friend. You really have. And and if and once we get the Ben Quadraneros episode, which I'm I'm convinced they will sandbag to make the worst episode ever. It will make the uh, poison <laughs> snapple 
look like <laughs> if they make him a politician it'll be even worse it'll just be too bad <laughs> oh, yeah right it'll just be one long political speech talking. yeah right. <laughs> you know I, I sent this email to jason a couple days ago when i saw the entertainment weekly interview with feloni i guess they interviewed him at WonderCon or someplace and they brought up the ben quadraneros and i'm like oh my god Forecast inside jokes are now making it mainstream to places like Entertainment Weekly. This is insane. <laughs> no. Yeah, no plug though. No plug, but uh, that's all right, Kyle. We're 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 proud to be your bully pulpit. Although you were really working a good ground game there at C five, so we can't we can't we can't take all the credit. Let's talk about. I want to talk about these uh, the younglings. Um, th- a thought occurred to me, Jimmy, when I was watching this episode. Is that you know? There's of course there's there's lots of uh, exploration of this territory in the expanded universe of what it's like to be a Jedi on the run during during the Purge years. But this was uh, when I was watching this, I was like, ah, this is interesting. This is George Lucas's version of a displaced Jedi. Now, granted, they're they're uh, they're younglings. But when you were watching this, Jim, were you thinking at all about like? Yeah, this is kind of like what it's going to be like for a lot of Jedi in a in a couple of years. No, I didn't, and um, because I mean these these people were were kidnapped and and they were being hunted for sport. It's you know Jedi. You know the the best example we have is Obi Wan Kenobi living as a hermit in the desert, not necessarily on the run. You know, afraid to walk out of his door every day, and you know for fear of being shot at. This is kind of a different situation altogether where these guys are, you know, they're, they're, they're being hunted and uh, they're, they're, they're captive. So it's, it's, I didn't make that connection. No? no. I did. Kyle? I kind of did because I know that George borrows a lot from Japanese mythology, Japanese, you know, history. And as soon as they got into ahsoka challenging not at first but i mean as soon as she started to get into challenging them about what it means to be a padawan and the difference between her and them and where they had degraded to that's when i started to think about it and it reminded me of uh the dark horse you know the das jenner story with uh you know blue harvest where he he's kind of he's tested in terms of what it means to be a Jedi when there is no more order, when there when there yeah. is nothing yeah. you've pledged your allegiance to. And that's what I saw happening to these guys. And then I was like, it reminded me of those old, you yep. know, Kurosawa things like Senjuro or Yojimbo. You know, any of those classic uh, Japanese tales were about people that live by a code and an order who, you know, once feudal Japan is collapsing and there is no, um, you know, caste system anymore. What, how do they play into the hierarchy? How do they play into the community? And a lot of them were just wandering, you know, Ronan. So it's kind of was it felt like okay, this is kind of what it would be like, and that didn't fully go there. But right, it just right. Reminded me of that a little bit. Um, it didn't, not in a distracting way, but it just kind of was something. I was like, you know, what? It, it makes sense because George is always into those Japanese films, and here it is, like the code is being tested when you're not forced to to use it. Yeah, yeah. I um, I, that's thank you for uh, you articulated that very well. That's kind of what I was what I was getting at. I wasn't going as far as the the Japanese culture, but I was seeing this as sort of George's um, his way of kind of telling the tale of the of the displaced Jedi 
And uh, yeah, Grant, like what Jimmy was saying, the circumstances are not are not the same, but the result is the same in a lot of ways. Completely cut off. Yeah. They're unable to, um, you know, in, in the case of these guys, they're they're Padawans. So they don't have the experience of a of a master, certainly. But they're they're uh, I think I think in some cases they're losing it. I think that their their skills are getting a little rusty uh, in some areas. And because um, they're they're away from from their teachings, and you know sometimes it's like you know if you want to uh, if, if you want to be really diligent about exercising and and working out, you want to find a buddy or a couple of people to to to, to hang around with. You want to you want to stay around yeah, the culture. Like so uh, there's one line, Paul, that Anakin says. This is after Ahsoka disappears on Felucia, and he says this to Plo Koon. Um, that I thought was pretty interesting. He says, "I will not leave her fate up to others." They're trying to get him to, leave to and I and I started wondering, well, who is her fate up to? How would Anakin answer that question? I will not oh, leave her fate know. up to others. Is it is it is it up to him? Who's it up to? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't really catch that, Jason. I didn't I didn't join any connection, so I don't really have an opinion on it. Any thoughts? Any thoughts others. to anybody else? You know, I mean, he says. Uh, uh, I thought that was the the whole message of. For me, it was like a lot of the message of the whole thing and how it ties into Anakin's overarching story, uh, because it was basically not just saying Ahsoka. There was a, a Padme subtlety to it. It was uh, had an echo of what happened to him and his mother. Like he felt like his fate was in her hands. He bears that guilt like it was his fate. Her fate was his to change or to save. And uh-huh. I think he carries through into into Padme, and it's his ultimate destruction. And I think we saw that challenge in the Mortis trilogy, and I think that is the overarching conflict of Anakin's relationship with Ahsoka throughout this entire series. Every time they do get into a character moment about them or between them, that's even out, even if it's analyzed by anybody who's their superior or mentor, it always comes to that type of uh, story, and that, and. And they only have 22 minutes, so when they do these cutaways, they do them very choice. That was an important beat to hit between them. And Plo, obviously much wiser and much more emotionally grounded than Anakin, was able to challenge him in a very wise way and then say, basically, we're leaving, and Anakin had to accept it. Um, but you can tell they said that he scoured the place 12 times, and he's not willing and ready to let go. So I, I thought that was cool because it allows – this story to breathe in a larger way over the course of a series and not just in the context of these, uh, you know, this duology. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's, that's again, kind of what I was, what I was getting at is that, um, you know, the overall theme is that Anakin and we find that we come back around uh, at the end with this, where Anakin is is basically confessing his sin in a sense to Ahsoka, saying, "I I blame myself. It was my fault." And she says, "No, I, I nothing but thanks to give to you because without your training, I wouldn't have been able to survive it." Um, so in this instance, Plo Koon is saying that no, her fate's up to her. But um, it's just interesting to me to think of Anakin as thinking that. I mean. Uh, I, I wasn't the fortune cookie for this episode. Something about um, you know, without humility, courage is a dangerous game. I mean, it's a little, isn't it a little arrogant, Jimmy, of of Anakin to think that just it's almost like he has this idea that everything revolves around him. Everything revolves around him. Yeah, you're right. And um, you know, part of that is the pedestal he gets put on too. You know, everyone's like he's the chosen one. So you kind of see he sort of naturally feels that way. He's confused. 
He doesn't know what his powers mean, ultimately. He doesn't want to believe in the, the, the legend of the Chosen One, as revealed in the Mortis trilogy, when he told the son that it's just a myth, the idea of a Chosen One. So you think, though, he must feel that there's something to it. So that's why he feels the burden all the time. He feels the burden to control everything. And he does feel like he's the center of the universe. As seen, you know, when he, he expressed all of his, his guilt and anger, losing his mom. The reason Yoda gave him a Padawan was to help him deal with all that. To deal with all those emotions and stuff. And to bring something up and then let it go. Let the bird fly out of the nest. Yeah, there was there was definitely a lot of that. I felt like they were talking about a puppy at one point. I mean, Plo Koon is you know, basically saying, you know... Um, let it go, and if it comes back to you, it's yours. If it doesn't, it was never yours to begin with. You know that 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 old expression. It just yeah, like, it's like 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 a parent sort of relationship to me. You know, especially at the end. You know, it's one of those situations, isn't it, where you know, for parents, you teach kids all you can, and you hope that when they they finally move out and get a place of their own, that you've you've told them enough to to be safe. So. Yeah, that's the way I kind of saw it. Yeah, well, I mean, you see this a lot, you know, like the the, the prodigal son, right? You know, this 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 story, but it's not that necessarily does Soka, you know, strayed on her own. It was, you know, she was actually she was actually taken. So it, it's it's mm. you know, it's 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 a little bit different than had she just decided that you know she was going to go off on a on a mission by herself. Yeah. She really didn't have a choice in the matter. If we get to the end of this series and we look at it in a way where. Yoda assigning Anakin a Padawan was a major catalyst in actually pushing him towards his downfall. By it, it almost backfired in a way. It didn't. Um, it didn't actually help him separate from attachment. What it did was it, it just gave him another thing on a daily basis to be attached to, and in a way, it backfires. It's just another another dimension. Oh, there. I definitely think that's where they're going. I definitely Yoda think that's where they're balance. going. And I hope, I mean, you know, Kyle, since you brought it up, I mean, I hope that this series does not make the mistake of giving us Ahsoka's fate right at the end of the series and not giving us the payoff of watching and seeing how Anakin deals with it. I mean, I'll be very disappointed if, if you know, if they wait to the last episode or two, you see what happens to Ahsoka and then that's it. Um, I mean, I think that that's going to be, I feel like the series has to go on for many episodes after Ahsoka, her yeah. fate is determined so that we can see you know, we can see the payoff in Anakin. Definitely. I, th- I think the series just needs to keep going on anyway. I think they need to change the name of it when they get to the end of the Clone Wars and they just need to make it for the rest of, my, of the foreseeable future or I'll be very cross. <laughs> what? There's grounds where they could actually carry <laughs> over past the Battle of Coruscant and a little further because it's still the after effects of the Clone Wars, the the immediate cleanup of it. And it would be interesting to see how guys like Rex and Cody or those characters change after Order 66. I, w- I mean, I personally would love to see my, my cool ending would be Rex actually sacrifices himself so Ahsoka can go escape into hiding and we never see her again. I mean, that that would be great. Yeah. Here's a thought. Carl, didn't you say something about like they'd refer to it as clone the Clone War at one point? There's like, multiple actually, times where Yoda and others call it the Clone War. Well, ha, do we do we do we know? I mean, we're assuming 
the, the Clone Wars that, you know, completely takes place between, you know, episodes two and three. What if, what if there's another Clone War set between episodes three and four, hence the Clone Wars? Hmm. Isn't that possible or is that just a bit of a stretch? No, I don't think it's a stretch at all. I mean, I think that, you know, and- I wouldn't be surprised if George surprises with that, but I think I have a feeling that the EU is kind of like mapped out the definitive end of the Clone Wars in a lot of ways um, from what I've read in books, like the way they right. kind of verbalize and intellectualize. I'm trying to think if. Well, wait a minute, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, wait a minute, though. I, I don't know if I don't know if that's if that's so. I mean, EU, you know, you whatever. But but what what but what I'm but I think Paul's got a point is that we see I don't know that the Clone Wars necessarily ends with uh, the, the 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 murder of the separatist leaders in episode three because like like he's saying there's a lot of cleanup work to do no I mean in between three and four now you have a now you have a new enemy and I don't know how new they are but it's it's uh, it's still well, these systems they're not they're not consolidating. I mean, it's going to take them a while to consolidate the power, and they never really do consolidate the power because that's what gives the rebellion the ability to uh, right. But to they, rise. the cleanup was effect in Revenge of the Sith when they say, "Okay, your last loose end is General Grievous," and that was, in the words of uh, Palpatine himself, says, "Well, there is that loose end. You got to go tidy that up." And Mace was like, "You're right. I got to go do that." So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the novel, they kind of say it's it brings a close to the Clone Wars, um, and it transitions into the beginnings of the Empire. I mean, I think that's, I think it's visually explicit, and also the way George handles it in the movie. But wouldn't the but clones still be fighting? I mean, the clones would still be fighting on several fronts. I would think. Potentially, yeah, I think it could carry over. I'm sure there's probably a year of cleanup with any war. Uh, or more, maybe just cleaning up the remaining forces, maybe Admiral Trench is out there, or whoever's still out, you know, renegade forces, like look at Thrawn in uh, mm-hmm. Air to the Empire, you're talking years later, and he's still in command of a faction. It, if you look at something like the Hundred Years' War in, in reality, you know, it's like, they could think it's all over by episode three, but then all of a sudden something changes, and the Clone, clone Wars might drag on for another 30 years, for all we know, but just in a different shape, you know? Even, even live- though they've become the... Or more dramatic twists to it, like you're suggesting, Paul. Because I never really thought about it mm-hmm. that way. But there could really be some other dramatic yeah, it's twists. It's probably unlikely, isn't it? But just yeah, mm-hmm. unlikely. I think very unlikely. Because how can the war continue if all those battle droids get shut down? That was the separatist army. I yeah, mean, yeah it was. Battle. But but wouldn't they? Wouldn't don't you think the separatists would take up uh, the separatist uh, planet? So especially once Palpatine consolidates power. All the things that the separatists have been saying about the Republic are going to be validated in their eyes. Like, well, look at him now. And now he's really creepy and ugly looking. I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's completely finished. I would think that they'd be grabbing their, you know, as we say in America, our pitchforks and whatever and, and going after him. Well, that's what the rebellion ultimately was, wasn't it? The but- pitchfork army, the equivalent. The difference between the Clone Wars with the separatists is the fact that the Republic was still a democracy and things could be debated and laws could be passed. By the time the Clone Wars came to an end, Palpatine had seized ultimate power, unlimited power, and he declared himself emperor. So he was judge, jury, and executioner. Right, but that's internally within the Republic. Now, what about what happens to the separatists who are still planets 
that aren't aligned. The war ends. You've lost your military centerpiece, your generals, and your your figurehead in the form of Dooku. But it doesn't mean you automatically go, all right, well, we're in now. We're back to the Republic. You're absolutely right, Kyle. And those were the systems that became the subject of imperial occupation, where the Empire would send down a buttload of clones— stormtroopers to go down there and enforce the law of the emperor, whether you like it or not. Yeah, come on. Was, didn't you, didn't you see the holiday special? They're on Kashyyyk. <laughs> They're occupying Kashyyyk. And that, and <laughs> I do think George was trying to shift it to the concept of rebellion uh, back to Wookiees, but he did have a scene where he was trying, wasn't he into revenge of the Sith, where it was, he was trying to get into the topic of the birth of the rebellion. It was a deleted scene. Yeah. Um, so you could tell he was already shifting it right there from the Clone War to the oppressive rebellion right. of the era. Yeah, no, I mean, no, it's it's good stuff. I, I want to get us I want to get us back on track. I mean, I, I again, I think this is free form because we're talking about the end of season three. And, and of course, the end of the season, we want to talk about all the different uh, different mm-hmm. avenues that the series could take. But um for those listening and wanting to hear our analysis of this particular episode, there was the moment um, when uh, in the names, I just, the names kill me sometimes. Um, Khalifa. Khalifa has the Trandoshan. She's got him. She's, she's got him in the chokehold, the Jedi choke. And man, I don't know about you guys, but I was like, go girl. You know, I mean, I was loving it as, and I was just, relishing every little crack snapple and pop of that dirty lizard's neck and i wanted her to seal the deal i just i wanted her just to crush him and throw in his lifeless body just drop and there's ahsoka no no you know we can't not out of anger well come on if that wasn't defense what, what someone please explain this to me dark side when she, she had already restrained the Trandoshan, he couldn't do anything to Ahsoka as she's holding him up in the air with a force in a chokehold. If she goes and kills him, that's not in defense. But, what, but, but what's going to happen when she puts him down? He's going to do his, his predator call and call all his uh, other predators. Yeah, but uh, this is something that was addressed in the Citadel trilogy when Anakin said to Ahsoka, you see, we are not made to be warriors. We're peacekeepers and... When we're put in the role of soldiers, right? It sometimes the Jedi code refrains us from sealing the deal, from finishing the job. That's exactly what he said in the Citadel. And is he wrong? No, he's not wrong at all. The Jedi are not made to be soldiers. I, I would say, like you know, the, the martial arts attitude to this, which obviously there's a, there is a kind of a martial arts aspect to the Jedi Knights. Definitely, yes. Um, is is the is the the thing that that's kind of drilled into you as you as you get all the kind of higher levels of of kung fu is that is that you don't act through anger. So even even if your actions are severe, even if even if you're in a situation where it's at, it, it, it's that rare occasion when it's actually absolutely necessary to kill somebody, you still shouldn't do it through anger. If you do it, it's got to be it's got to be a controlled and thoughtful decision where you've reasoned out the situation and you know it's your only choice. And the mm. idea is that you remove emotion from the equation. Mm. And she was very, very definitely kind of, you know, emotional about it. So if right. she was going to finish him off because she had no choice, she ne- still needed to do it when she wasn't in that place where she was angry. And that's the kind of, I think, is very similar to the Jedi philosophy where it's just like you just don't do it through anger. If, if she needs to finish him off, I don't think that would have been a problem for the Jedi, depending on the circumstances. And I just don't think she thought that was her only option. Thank you, Grasshopper. 
<laughs> no, I like what you're saying about taking emotion out of it because, of course, my response was very emotional. And, um, you know, but, but at the same time, it's like I feel that – I feel like his – the the killing of that particular Trandoshan would have been – could have been justified – um, <laughs> it was probably smart to do so. Yeah, definitely. But that also, sense. your response out of emotion would mean your first thought was going back to the concept of self-preservation. Uh, what mm-hmm. what when you what happens when you put him down? What's he going to do again? Right. Um, yeah. And then the, what the Jedi would have to do is look beyond self in that situation, and then just you know purely objectify that as a life form. In a lot of ways, they're special. You know, they're they're hunters. This is what they do. It's part of their culture. Well, it may be different. You kind oh, of now, now see, now you're getting very, uh, you're getting into that whole uh, moral relativism thing. Like, well, it's their, you know, it's their culture. It's their way. They, they don't think, look, look, they kidnap people. They put them on a planet. They hunt them. You know, it's like, I, you know, <laughs> I shoot off fireworks on the 4th of July. They do that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised I'm, at you, Newman. <laughs> well, just that's the way they probably are asked to look at it with that, not even that morally relative, but just the fact that you can't look at it. It's as, the prime uh, directive, uh, right? Prime directive on a force cast show. Can you believe that? Those words were... Those words were <laughs> well, okay, fine. So was... Did... Uh, did Luke Skywalker was Luke Skywalker a cold-blooded murderer when he walked in and he choked out the uh, the guards at Jabba's palace? He didn't kill him. I, I never thought he. Killed I always him. assumed that he killed him. He might have just knocked them out. I suppose it was like a chokehold without an arm. Oh, I, so it was like the Jack Bauer. He's like, don't fight it, don't fight it, don't fight it. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking of Austin Powers. You know, right, yeah. Austin Powers going around killing everyone. There's, there's a Gamorrean family going. That'll be home soon. <laughs> That'll be home for life day. They punctuate that for the thematic, you know, drive of the story. I mean, that's why they 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 chose to do it like that. Because obviously, we've seen instances where Jedi's have killed people in battle, right? Because you're engaged. I, I would say, you know what? You're in the middle of a conflict. Someone's coming at you with that intent. You have to do the thing. That's why they normally get into dismemberment. And that was explored thoroughly in Faith of Jedi. Um, right. Well, there's uh, a lot of look. There's a lot of paperwork that goes with those dismemberments. After you dismember, um, a lot of red tape. A lot of red true. tape. <laughs> Maybe this is a nine-episode arc, and we just haven't seen most. We of haven't seen. <laughs> That's right. The paperwork's the coming. Season. The bureaucracy is coming. Uh, I know you guys get into the EU too much, and some of you are angry at the EU. And I read most of the EU and I get into it, but we have to be able as fans to call out things when they're ridiculous and yeah. not just accept things blanketly. When something is preposterous inside, it feels wrong. Then it's OK to say, you know what, that feels wrong. And that's why in instances like Fate of the Jedi, I bring it up because I think they jump so many sharks that I'm fine talking about how ridiculous that series has got Um in context, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. No, it's, it's justification. Kyle, I have a I have a question for you. If 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 I can turn the tables, what yep. about the fan of the EU who looks at the Clone Wars and says, "Oh, well, that Mandalorian thing was ridiculous." That's you know, I, don't they have just as valid of 
a platform to stand on to criticize. I agree they do, but what they don't have is the ability to strip a creator of his rights to do what he wants with it. Um, <laughs> if I ever wrote for the EU in a subject matter um, that I was assigned or chose, I would know full well that the minute George weighs in on the subject, he by far trumps me, and I would never have the arrogance to assume that what I did or anyone else supersedes what the creator of an entire universe chooses. And that's the, that's the crux of my argument, is let's not be so audacious slash obnoxious to think that anybody understands this world better than George. Because George has proved time and time again, again with his series, that he knows the intricacies of his world. He knows how he wants to handle them and bring them to light. And if it conflicts with what the way George wants to do it, then you just get in line because that's just respect to the creator. Um, you can still enjoy that material, but uh, I don't think you can ever, you know, think George is the problem in his own universe. So it's, it's like we, we we were saying the other day on via email call. You know, what occurred to me was if Tolkien was still around, and and they they suddenly said to him, right, if you're going to make right Lord of the Rings four or whatever. You better, you better keep in mind the the movies now. It's just, yeah, it's make sure it lines up with the me. movies. Can you and Peter Jackson yeah. get together here, please, Mr. Tolkien? Yeah, it's yeah. just ridiculous. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, the idea is pretty <laughs> absurd. It is pretty oh, absurd. Like the Quinlan Voss argues, some people didn't like him exactly, but I, like it'd be making you know, Legolas is rewritten now to be like Orlando Bloom's take on Legolas. You know, it's <laughs> right. It's preposterous. Yeah. Like just because. There is source material, and you must be reverent to that source and that creator. And I would say the same thing with anything, with Dune and all this stuff. You you have to go back to that source material and as almost like a student of it, understand it before you start moving in directions that undermine it. And Fate of the Jedi is a complete undermining of Star Wars. I think people strayed from... The foundations of Star Wars. And yes, the universe is big and you can go many different directions. But you can't start doing Nerf pants and TMZ. <laughs> and all. I think I think the, the, the most important thing to me is that is that people understand that that you know that any creative pursuit that you've got, as soon as you start laying down parameters and telling somebody this is this is, you know, restrictions and everything else. How can you create with any kind of sense of pleasure or, or any kind of like fluidity? I mean, a, a way to completely kill it, kill something dead. I mean, if you look at Star Trek, I mean, the reason why Star Trek ended up sucking so severely was just because it, it took too much care over that sort of stuff, and it was just too I, referential. It was it was dilithium crystals this and and in, you know inertial dampness that, and you just thought, <laughs> screw continuity. Tell me a good story. <laughs> But what it really comes down to is when fans demand that fiction suddenly becomes nonfiction be- out of a need for classification and out of an yeah, obsession. Yeah. And I love the EU. I know I can quote all crazy stuff, characters, obscure things. I'll talk about Boss's, Bosk's father if you want. How he was in this episode. Kratos was not represented. But when we, we create problems, we expect fiction to become non-fiction like it's a historical document because right yeah, now the thing i love about the way you put that carl is the fact that we're talking about Star Wars like it's fact it's a you creative formation <laughs> yeah. of the universe but george is the final authoritative figure but let's get back uh, to talking about Wookiees. all right all right all right all right the big star of course the star of these episodes 
were, was, of course, uh, Chewbacca. And I remember, Jimmy Mack, we talked to Mark Hamill at Celebration 5, and Mark talked about the great entrances in Star Wars. <laughs> He said, you know, everybody, everybody had a great entrance. He was talking about how, you know, when the deleted scene for Return of the Jedi was revealed, that he always felt that was a stronger, that was a stronger entrance. So, of the Clone Wars, how would you rate Chewie's entrance? Well, I think it was fantastic, and I'll tell you why. It's because you know Chewbacca so well. And when you saw him come out of the shadows... For starters, that's a great way to, you know, make an entrance is just to have your silhouette be revealed and then you come into the light and it's just, it's, it's a gradual reveal. You fade in almost and that's just cool in itself. But since we know Chewbacca so well, we have such high standards for how the character needs to be represented on the screen. When Chewie got up out of that wreckage and came into the light, Right away, you knew it was Chewbacca. It wasn't just some random Wookiee or, as Spoloni said, uh, pieces of chocolate running around. <laughs> it right. was, I mean, and that's just such hats off to the animation and all the homework they did in working with Peter and looking at all the old footage and looking at the actual costume itself. You know, anyone could look off of a photo and. And, and draw what their representation was. But they, they went for accuracy here. And that's what we expect as Star Wars fans. So when Chewie makes his grand entrance, his huge debut in the Clone Wars, it has to be perfect. And I'll say it. I thought this was a perfect entrance for Chewie. And I thought everything about the way that they portrayed the character was perfect. Now, Paul, as a graphic artist, I mean, I... I'm interested to get your take on this because when I saw, I'll be honest with you, all right, just keeping it real here, that when I saw the you know behind the scenes stuff and they were and they and they brought Peter out um, to 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 where they were making the Clone Wars and they wanted to talk to him and deal with him, I thought it was all PR. I really did. I got eh, that. That's cute and all, and that's nice. And and who wouldn't want to sit there and talk to Peter? I mean, uh, Jimmy's talked to him uh, several times. I've talked to him. He's got great stories. Who wouldn't? But when I saw the episodes, I go, "Wow, that's why they wanted to really talk to Peter." I mean, everything from you know the, the way the hands work. I was noticing things about Chewbacca that I'd never noticed in the films until I saw it animated. And I go, oh, my gosh, that's it, in the eyes. So as, a, as, a, as, a, as an artist, you know, maybe you can help kind of explain as to just how invaluable that would be uh, to, to an animator to actually talk to somebody like Peter Mayhew. Oh, just absolutely shows in the work. I mean, I think, I think that the, the, uh, absolutely criffing awesome. To- totally awesome. If, if if one thing in this series deserved the, the awesome awesome treatment, it would be <laughs> che- Chewbacca's appearance in the in this show. I've always loved Chewbacca since I was a kid. He was always like my dream friend. You know, when you're getting bullied at school and stuff, you always think like, yeah, oh, it would be really great if, if I had a friend like Chewbacca to come and just kind of growl and throw the bully over over a hill or something. But <laughs> right. and Han Solo was always my favourite character too, and all that. So to to actually have him in the in the Clone Wars is amazing. And I, I was very very worried, as you were, Jason, about how he was going to look. And it's obvious that they've they've spent a lot of time sort of talking to Peter about how he kind of internalised the character. Uh, I mean, we're all kind of familiar with all the documentaries and what have you on the the prequel trilogy, where they talk about how you know important it was to talk to Frank Oz about Yoda and Yoda's development. 
and uh, you know how complex that was to kind of capture you know the 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 all the stuff that that Frank Oz was just thinking and not really necessarily kind of you mm. know um, aware of the fact he was doing until somebody kind of questioned him on it and uh, absolutely one hundred percent with you, Jason. I mean, just looking at it, I just thought that is Chewbacca, and it's amazing. I mean, when you think back to I know I know Jimmy and I were reminiscing about the old Marvel comics, and uh, you know although there were lots of fun at the time and. Now the the renditions of Chewbacca back in the seventies could be quite quite interesting. <laughs> it quite often looked like some monster from Planet of the Apes or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I mean the Chewbacca and the clones w- was just they just captured it so well. I mean and to to do it in such a stylized fashion too was amazing. The way he kind of he fits in with all the other characters, so he's following the house style, but at the same time his posture. Uh, I mean just the way they made the fur look okay, even though it was obviously kind of had that. You know, kind of plasticine quality, and it wasn't moving. It's it still looked fantastic, and and just I mean, the attention to detail, you know, and and at the same time make, making him kind of look like he belonged, and yet he hasn't kind of changed in any kind of obvious way, was just was just amazing. And I'm sure that they they definitely sort of talked to him not only about the way he, the way he uh, he walked because I know they, they mentioned that in the in the uh, the little documentaries, don't they, about about Peter's gait, but um. Also, just just you know the the, the tilts of the head and mm-hmm. and the, the the expressionism in the you know the expressions in the eyes and stuff. It just, the eyes, was, the eyes was the thing that sold yeah. it for me because it I, was Chewbacca, right? I mean, it, it was. Just was it was Chewbacca? I mean, when you have the. Uh, you know, I mean, Lucasfilm does a pretty good job when they get their their you know official Chewbacca out at different events and that sort of thing. Um, but none of them have Peter's eyes, and this this. Chewbacca. And they never look right, do they? And they, they, they never, never could, not not quite right. Exactly, is something a little off. Uh, but this one was uh, was phenomenal. And like I said, I I really did believe it was a little bit of of, of PR until I saw the episodes. And I go, you know, I, I tend to be cynical. You know, uh, I, we bring our own you know brand, you know, our own experiences into these episodes, into these things with us. And um, I was I such think a believer. It's like the- the, the lovability as well, like you know, like with Chewie, he really is like. I mean, we know he was he was kind of based on George's Malamute and everything, but mm-hmm. he's it's that combination of like you just look at Chewie and kind of know he can handle himself, and he's just you know he's gonna he's gonna sort of smack something into next week if it gives him any trouble. But at the same time, he's got a very very sweet quality. You know, he's a very innocent right. sort of you know gentle little soul. You know, when you oh, see man. him kind of freaking out in the trash compactor and everything, you're kind of aware of his. He's got a timid side too. You know. Yeah, you know what? The way this episode was directed, especially Chewbacca's entrance, you know, he's tilted. It's almost upside down, and you could still tell it was him. And then there's the reveal, and it writes itself, and and it was like there's a mist on the beach. Uh, I think just Dave did a really good job building up the visual entrance of Chewbacca. And Jamie and I actually watched these episodes again with a friend of ours, female, 14, doesn't watch this series. And all she could do was gush about Chewbacca. I want a Chewbacca. I love Chewbacca. Oh, my God. Oh, that's fantastic. And that to me was like, oh, my God. They captured Chewbacca so well because he's awkward. You know what I mean? Like, look at the – there's an episode episode where he walks to the crash ship and he slips, you know? And it's like he's capable, but he's awkward. He's strong, but he's sensitive. And there's that duality to Chewbacca, you know, where he's – ferocious and you know to luke on the death star and the next second you know he's getting his his neck scratched by han you know and you see there's like you know he's 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 fickle but he's loyal so they captured all those elements of chewbacca the complexity of it but i just love seeing it 
through someone who's not familiar with the series, who kind of knows Chewbacca, all of a sudden they see this, and all they do is like, oh, I love him. Oh, my God, he's amazing. Oh, I want one. He's so cool. <laughs> I want one. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Here's an animated version of the same reaction I had to Chewbacca when I saw him. So I thought that was special, and that was a major achievement for this series. You know, Tarkin, on one level, it's like, yeah, it's Tarkin. He sounds like him, and he looks like him, but... There's not so much <laughs> character um, for us to go to. But Chewbacca is so well-mined and so well-understood by fans. We know him inside and out. We know what he's like and and the dynamics of him. And I thought they captured all those nuances. And I think this is probably the first on-screen appearance of Chewbacca pending the uh, legitimacy of the holiday special. So this is Chewbacca's first true cinematic entrance. And I think Dave did a great job with it. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I think I think Chewie gave me the biggest laugh I've had all season as well, which was when he punched the Trandoshan in the side of the head to make sure he was more susceptible to the uh, <laughs> right, mind trick. Right, his mind that was weaker. Just made me laugh <laughs> so bad. It's just like he hit him, like, be susceptible. Speaking of all for the ET device. What's that? <laughs> yeah. the ET device was like everything except for the speaking spell. <laughs> It was, yeah. <laughs> All right, Jimmy, you've heard of the the missionary position, of course, but what about what about the Lando position? Chewie puts the the uh, the Trandoshan in the Lando position in that chokehold down there. Yes. I thought that was a great little nod, huh? Yeah, uh, yeah, totally, totally. Um, you know, we saw some vintage Chewbacca action going on in this, and and yeah, that did not go over my head. The old. Uh, <laughs> you know, was, I was expecting the Trandoshan to say something like that. A lot of people complaining that Chewie didn't pull any Trandoshan arms out of their sockets. Well, and, wait a uh, minute, though. Did, I mean, I when he is opening up the can on the uh, on the Trandoshan ship towards the end of the second episode, I swear I hear bones breaking on that Trandoshan. Well, he was breaking bones, but we didn't get to see the full removal of arms from sockets uh, that might have been a little too graphic for the kitty oh you mean like a complete um, yes i see i got you <laughs> yeah, complete like removal of the limb i see what you're saying yeah like a wishbone but, but i uh, felt his power i mean i felt chewy's power i think more so in this episode than i did in the films a sense of his oh, power you just have such a a, a wider <clears throat> range of things you can do with him since now he's completely animated there's only so much you can do with Peter in that big suit. Right, but throwing guys really, around and stuff, yeah. It was really cool to see him sort of like fixing machinery and, you know, yeah. gathering stuff together. That right. was so cute. I like that a lot, too. I mean, it was very true to his character, and, you know, he needed the uh, he needed the equipment to build his uh, his radio or whatever. Um, the, uh, the little yellow birds... I want to ask you guys about the little yellow birds. What are they? What were they called? They were the <laughs> the Rorys or the what was that? The uh, I don't they know, were, they were funny though. The 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 con oh Converies 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 Converies. Were they trying to tell their own little story? I kept following it. Like what? What's the story they're trying yeah. to tell with these guys? Did it was anybody... like that that short by Pixar, wasn't it? Birds, you know, and they were right. kind of put a look together at the start. <laughs> right, right. Or maybe it was their version of Angry Birds. I don't know, but. I, I thought, like, are are they kind of telling their own little parallel tale that we should be picking up on? But maybe, maybe they're in squishies. <laughs> it reminded me of was outside of Jabba's palace when there's a quick cutaway, and 
you know, we see like the wildlife tattooing kind of interacting and, um, you know, they have little creatures. Yeah. And it just reminded me of that. So as soon as I saw this, I was like, Definitely. wow, this is like, you see them in the background and then you see them up there near their little, uh, you know, tree cave. But, um, I just was like, this is so Star Wars. It made me smile because yeah, it was like the time to to breathe, you know? And that's what Star Wars moves at a pace, but every once in a while it stops and it has like a little moment like that, you know? And that's something you only get in Star Wars on screen. You know what I mean? I don't feel that sometimes when I'm reading books or comics. And it's that type of attention to visual detail that um, makes you smile. And uh, I love it. Now... Okay, we've 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 all been talking about Chewie's entrance, and nobody has mentioned the music. This was the most use of John yeah. Williams' music than we've heard in I want to say all season, maybe the whole series so far. It was I would say liberally used, and 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 I mean that in a good way. Yeah, did that help sell Chewbacca? It was it was just so well done the the way that they incorporated. That original trilogy score it mixed well with Kiner's score. Yeah, I it was used very effectively. I mean, this is the way it should be every episode. Just a little taste, a little breath yeah. of that John Williams music. Just to, just to you know, firmly entrench us in Star Wars. And uh, yeah, they they used it. Uh, they used it so well, so well with uh, the uh, reveal of Chewbacca. Well, not just the reveal, but it was it was through. I mean, it was. Really, yeah, it kept probably coming. kept coming back. Yeah, yeah. Even even outside of Chewbacca, at the end, uh, at the end, uh, at the landing uh, platform, right? Ahsoka was talking to Anakin. You heard more strains from the original trilogy score, and it really just helps establish where you're at in the saga. You know, it just, well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Just, it's the it's the Force theme, right? It's the Force theme that we hear, and it's why would the Force theme be the theme that introduces Chewbacca? Are we? I mean, is is it? Is there something? Um, you know, is there something Does about Obi-Wan, the Wookiee? Or oh, go ahead, Obi-Wan say something in. I'm not sure if it was the original movie or if it was just in the radio show because I, I get so confused with the two. You know, sometimes where the dialogue overlaps. Mm-hmm. But uh, didn't Obi Wan said something about? The, the Wookiees being strong with the Force in their own way or something. Which you yeah, think there's is, a certain affection for the Force. That's the right, Jimmy. That's, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was never really expanded upon much. However, Yoda did reveal that he had spent some time with the Wookiees too. So it could yeah. be some sort of strength that the Wookiees have with the Force that just hasn't really been defined yet. Yeah, I have a similar kind of explanation. I just think it's about irony and fate and that within the context of our heroes and the way paths overlap and cross. And it just to uh, have like, it just had an extra level of profoundness yeah. and yeah. timing of it's Chewbacca's a, entrance into this world and into, you know, it's the four. Yeah, I, 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 you know what, Kyle, I absolutely mm-hmm. agree with you. I think that that's, that, that that's it. And I love that. It's almost like the force. Ta- the music is almost the force talking to us saying, you know, heads up. This is important. This is significant, and this is this is about fate, and this is about these characters. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, and the our overarching story of Star Wars, as we know it, is about Anakin, and this is and Ahsoka is now a major part of his life, and she would not be alive today if it was not for the timely, you know, entrance of Chewbacca. 
you know, it's just it's interesting the way the fates of some of these characters that we know later come in and intertwine now and how it all kind of weaves together into Anakin and the way what lessons he learns or doesn't learn. By the end of this, it ends with Anakin and Ahsoka and what uh, he learns from his student and vice versa. And I mean, that's why the force can come into play there, because it's, you know, it's how uh, this classic kind of character inter you know, interjects into uh, Ahsoka's narrative flow. You know, here he comes and changes the course to kind of a history. I have to say, of all the slight aside, but, you know, with you mentioning Ahsoka there, I was just thinking about, like, I think there are all, all sorts of kind of iconic images that you, you think of when you think of Star Wars. And I'm, I'm not just talking about the scenes in the movies, but photographs that we've seen for years and stuff like that. And I think Clone Wars itself hasn't generated that many images that you kind of think, yeah, that's quite quite kind of iconic. But the um, the the image that was on the front of the Insider, I don't know if it was this month or uh, I think it was this month with Ahsoka and Chewbacca. Um, that for me is, is such an iconic image. You look at it and you just think that's so cool. Yeah, I think that's the best example of them taking a brand new character from the Clone Wars and a classic character and in a stylistic way, bridging the gap. I think it was, I, yeah. I mean, I, to be honest, I love the, my least favorite designs of the whole series are probably Anakin and Obi-Wan, you know? Really? Um, really? Yeah, it, it's just, you know, they still, um, still not a huge fan of the heads and the shoulders and all that, but I do think when you see somebody like Chewbacca in the Clone Wars style next to, the character that is the poster child of the Clone Wars in uh, Ahsoka just read so well to me. I got that issue. Wow, this is awesome. Well, I just found it interesting that, yeah, I know they're fictional characters and everything, but there was was a chemistry between the two of them, which I thought was... (laughs) There was, yeah. You know, Ahsoka can speak Wookiee. We didn't know that before. Well, she can at least understand it. (laughs) I don't know about... uh... Speaker. Well, yeah. Yeah, we, right. <laughs> right. Right. yeah we've but, never uh, heard anybody speak it, have we, but Wookiees? That's a good point, actually. No, we haven't heard anybody other than a Wookiee yeah. speak Wookiee. I want to hear Yoda speak Wookiee. Imagine that 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 mess. <laughs> 3PM was able to speak it. That, that would sound weird. 3PM that, being a Wookiee. <laughs> I'm sure Kitster can speak it, too. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, th- I, just, I thought that there was something very... <laughs> nice about the relationship yeah. they had it, it seemed like they, they clicked right away and there was a chemistry did you guys notice that uh, ahsoka seemed offended at being called a togruta she kind of grimaced when the one trandoshan said something about the togruta i don't think she was grimacing at being called that though was she she's just grimacing it in kind of you know singling her out i think yeah i guess i don't know it just it, it struck me like that was uh something she's not used to hearing you know i mean it was kind of a yeah. He said it in a, in a nasty kind of way, you know. The only good human is a dead human. Yeah. So. <laughs> back on the apes. Yeah, back on the <laughs> apes, right. Um, all right. The leader. Uh, what was the leader's name? The leader of this whole group that that I thought when he was on the bridge of his ship looked like uh, a Klingon with that with the big wampa with the big wampa <laughs> throne, which I yeah, thought was great. I mean, I wanted to hear the, you know, the... The, the Klingon music there almost. Um, I, wonder if the, I wonder if the arm comes off. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, if you go on to the Forcecast official Facebook page, you can see a beautiful photo of Jimmy Mack and his own Wampa. 
Um, a boy and his wampa, I believe, is the is the caption. So check that. It's not quite the impact of um, what what is the character? You guys help me out. What is the character's name? All these names are running together. I think for his me. name was Garnack. 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 Okay, Garnack. That sounds right. Um, I like the way they expanded the look of what we know of Trendoshans. Like he had those little feathers coming out of the his yeah, skull, like a, like a dinosaur may have. You know. Yeah, he because was he was the missing link. Yeah, the way to signify like he's the leader and he has slightly different coloring, and then he had those little red feathers coming out of his head. That was great. Didn't didn't um, birds evolve from dinosaurs? So maybe he kind of he's more evolved. Well, according to Sam Neill in Jurassic Park, they did. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's a question. So Garnack, did Ahsoka go too far at the end? She looked a little surprised. She when, gave him a choice. Well, did she? Did did she mean to push him that far out of there? Well, isn't it like she the kind to. of pl- policeman with a gun pointed at you saying, "Don't," you know, and you pick up the gun and you get shot. Yeah, but we were just talking about you know Ahsoka tr- was talking Khalifa down, and mm. she had I think, a choice. I, I I I think that that was a little dark side moment for her. All these episodes, she uses the force enough to deflect a gun or push the gun out of the direction of its target, and you can see the level of force displayed by these Padawans is <clears> you know it's limited because two Padawans can't even overwhelm one Trandoshan if you're not using the force in an extremely aggressive way. Although there were some creative moments, like when the one guy threw his friend over no, that was great. into the other guy for the kick. But I think here Ahsoka clearly gives him a choice. He's like, don't do it. You've been beaten. And again, her only option there is either take a, take a blaster in the face or throw this guy. And she does use more strength and more force than she's used previously to do a clinical and finishing throw i mean you have to be able to she had to make that choice to throw him through doors and over a ledge more than she's displayed throughout the rest of these two episodes so i think stylistically they're saying yeah she made a definite choice she gave him an option he chose uh to go out fighting and and that is supposed to justify you know the difference in in the actions between khalifa choking someone and and her killing him it could also be kind of a proportional thing, like in a, in a keto, you know, with this with the, the whole kind of samurai ethos. The idea is that it's proportional, so you kind of you only use the amount of force against your enemy that they're using against you, and mm-hmm. no more and no less. You use exactly the same force, and the idea is is that they're hurting themselves. You know what I think That's she did, Jim? I I think she pulled. I think she did it the Chicago way. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> None of this proportional stuff. <laughs> yeah, I can't help it. Hippie. <laughs> so she Ahsoka says that she survived this because of Anakin. She thanks Anakin. Anakin thinks that she uh encountered this, that she this happened to her because of him. Getting back to he kind of sees himself as the center of the you know, it's Anakin's world, it's Anakin's galaxy. We just happen to live in it. And um but she but she thanks him. And the two kind of go off in the sunset together. And there's this little smile. And Jimmy, you you alluded to this earlier. You obviously read the uh, highlights from Dave Filoni's Q&A at WonderCon about yeah. Yoda's little smile there. And tell us about what Dave confirmed, according to that, that report. All righty. Well, um, uh, what Dave said, essentially, was that he gave the reason why 
Yoda <clears throat> gave Anakin a Padawan. And that is so he can deal with the death, the loss of his mother. By giving Anakin a, a Padawan, it's someone he's going to have to raise and teach and then eventually let go. So that'll take Anakin through the process of having something and then letting it go. So he'll learn how to do that because that's something he obviously has huge problems with. So Yoda's hoping that Anakin will find redemption in himself through Ahsoka. Um, yes, and he'll also learn how to deal with attachment. See, I don't know if I follow Yoda's logic here. Because what makes what makes Yoda think that Anakin's going to handle the relationship with Ahsoka any better than he has with anyone else? Here's the deal: his mother, because eventually, in the role of teacher and student, the student is going to graduate. Mm-hmm. That's inevitable. So that's built. No- it's built in. It's a given in the relationship. Right. It's it, yes, and that'll teach him how to let go. Uh huh. And also, really important is Anakin is a latecomer to the Jedi Order, and a- everything else in Anakin's life is idealized attachment. It's the concept of a relationship. He pines over Padme at a distance. It's his mother as a concept after he's been taken from her and forced into a different type of life without it. Now, by giving him a Padawan, on a daily basis, he has something to. Um, be attached to in a sense and then learn to not be. It's a, it's like a daily practice as opposed to what he probably conceptualizes in his head and laments over and dwells on. Here's something physically daily that he is responsible for. And I think that is the thought process behind Yoda is let's put something in his face that he has to be um, – you know, that he has to actually take care of in a way and actually challenge a lot of the things that he's hung up on. So otherwise, I mean, he's just adrift in his head. And I think he knows that he can't go there either. And it's, I think if Anakin didn't kill the Tuscans, they wouldn't have necessarily felt the need to uh, surprise him with a Padawan. But uh, because of the, the, the direction that Anakin's going in his life and the way he's dealing with things that are, you know, outside of his grasp, um, they're like, well, let's put something within his grasp to a, you know, potentially distract him. B to just show him that this can work another way. It's not only the way um, it's happened to you. There, there's more than you know two relationships in the world. So, mm. I think, um, I think Yoda's doing that because he needs like hands-on daily responsibility. Do you think they're teaching him about selflessness as well? Because, I mean, he has been kind of quite preoccupied with himself and his own situation because, I mean, obviously it's very tragic. And, and so just so. Put, having somebody look after means he can't think of himself all the time. He's got to think of somebody else. Look, I, th- I think they have to come up with these things for him because he's a special case. And obviously they, they're, there's a fear among them. I don't even know if I'd call it a fear, but they don't know how to deal with him. Um, so they're going to do unconventional things because he is – going down paths that they've never seen or have trepidation about. So, I mean, I, I really think, you know, ultimately Yoda, it's not, it's, I mean, in a sense he fails, but he had no other choice but to do what he does. And that's the genius of, of Sidious and the game he played is that it, 
it's a lose-lose situation from the get-go because the Sith played their cards right for a thousand years. So, um, I mean, on every single level, he defeats the Jedi. Um, and that's because they had a thousand years to analyze and structure a single plan of attack, you know? Um, so I, I think this, at any level, whatever Yoda does, he's going to fail because also there is a predestination to the course of, you know, Anakin's fate. And I think once he gets, you know, burdened with the the absolute confirmation of the Chosen One, I, I really feel like that just the comment he makes on that planet is like her fate, you know, is up to Anakin. That's Anakin talking as someone who knows is confirmed that he has a greater role to play in the universe. Like if I can balance light and dark, how come I can't look after my Padawan? You know, so he feels like he should be able to control these smaller things. Yeah. Got an email here from uh, Forcecast listener Darwin. He says, season three finale was great. The reveal of the Trandoshan culture was very cool. Seeing Chewie, awesome. Another solid, solid Ahsoka-centered episode. But were you afraid as much as I was when Ahsoka ended up with the Jedi younglings? I thought we might get another The Academy. Did you, did you, any of you guys worry about that? Although I think that this, is, this episode shows that that whole concept could be done well. Absolutely. I never think about that episode ever. You know, I, I, what, what amazed me about this was that, you know, when you look at, I mean, we're surrounded every day by television that, where you see characters die and you probably feel very little for them, no matter how dramatically represented it is. You know, you look at something like CSI, you know, every week there's somebody who kind of, you know, has a gruesome death, you know. <laughs> And uh, yeah, you may you may be kind of affected by the the graphicness of it, but you don't really feel anything. And and uh, what amazes me about this show all the time is is just how much drama they're able to squeeze into it. You know, and given the the short time that it's on, and the, the scene where um, Califer died, you know, when it was followed by by the um, the Trandoshan father screaming that he's going to kill um, uh, Ahsoka. I mean, that was so dramatic. You know, and this is this is a character you've just been introduced to, like sort of, you know, fifteen minutes prior, and it's just it's as it's as dramatic as it gets, isn't it? You know, and yet we're just looking at a, a cartoon with a bunch of characters that we've only just been introduced to. So it just it just shows how good these people are at telling a great story because it doesn't pull punches. And all the greatest myths and fables, there's an element of darkness to them. And you know, pop culture has watered them down in the way we take in things like Sesame Streets and Teletubbies. And people think that's suitable <laughs> education for children. Like you're yeah. on auto this PC sensitive stuff, but kids learn lessons out of fear and darkness, and not in a and not in a sure. twisted way, but with when consequence is at stake, when there are moral yeah. questions. And the only time you can introduce true moral questions into something is when there is when there's uh you know lives are at stake or fate or you know. Um, philosophies and if you soften it then you don't learn mm. anything i don't think so and i, I think this fully functions as a kid show because of its darkness because it actually challenges things and questions things and look there was a, it was a brutal death for her she gets shot in the back right next to her it's a steaming hole yeah. through her chest and <laughs> you know that's i mean without those type of moments the show mm. actually do itself a disservice for children mm. 
that was always the kind of function of fairy tales, wasn't it? Really, to give kids life lessons in a sort of very you safe, know. But I think they, you know, I think they animated. Way. I think they 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 designed Califa in such a way. You know, it's not like she was who uh, was the little Twilight girl that we met in season two uh, in, oh. in Ryloth. Um, you know, yeah. I can't think of her name. Yeah. She's was that Una? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, she wasn't like that little cherubic-looking, you know, thing. So, I mean, I think they designed her in such a way. I, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you. I mean, it, it, I felt the drama, but I didn't feel the shock. I think there have been shocking moments in the Clone Wars yeah. we've talked about him, but I didn't feel the shock with that. I think the show for me mm. has reached a level where I go, eh, that makes sense. You know, that works. Okay. Um, yeah, it's not something as sh- shocking as affecting. You know, kind right? Of, Effective, just- right? Very good. It was. It was. That's. That's. I think that's exactly the word. Paul was it was effective not necessarily not necessarily shocking yeah you cared well guys uh do want to start wrapping this up but i need to go i want to i want to ask each and every one of you i want to come back to when we started this and i think it was this group that started the uh, roundtables for season three (laughs) secrets revealed kyle newman the biggest secret secret revealed for you this season zero likes chicks (laughs) (laughs) chicks that's the biggest reveal it may, it may, it may not just be chicks there's nothing i already knew anakin was the chosen one tarkin showing up obviously he existed because he's 50 years old so he has exist. it's not a secret that he's alive chewbacca i know he's alive getting to see isn't a secret revealed but zero being straight that's a big I, damn secret. We don't know. We don't know if he's straight. Dude, he could play both ways. <laughs> There's no saying. I mean, you know, it's a big universe. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I would say a lot of the, um, the Mortis trilogy was probably the most profound in terms of, you know, force. You can only give. Yeah, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Kyle. You can only give one answer. You already, you already, you already, you you blew, you blew your wad with well, you and Zero. Uh, <laughs> all right, Jimmy Mac. <laughs> biggest secret. Kyle, wait a minute. No, you know, no, Kyle wants to have more than one secret revealed. I said, he's going to steal all of them, and then we'll be left with nothing. We're going to be left with Kyle's scraps. No, cutting you off, Newman. All right, Jimmy Mac, <laughs> biggest secret revealed this year. Well, since Kyle already threw the Mortis trilogy out there, I think a lot of secrets were revealed in those episodes, yet many more questions were asked. And those that trilogy is probably the, the one that's left most open to interpretation from anything we've seen this season. But I think the biggest secret that was revealed was the fact that Darth Maul is still out there somewhere. I think oh, that well, that's is, a good one. That is a good one. That is that's a, a legitimate one. secret. Well, that's me out then. <laughs> no, I was I was going to say the same thing. I mean, it was a toss up for me between the the you know the fact that Anakin sees himself as the balance, and that that you know how that makes me see Darth Vader and Return of the Jedi. That was a big deal. But then at the same time, yeah, definitely Darth Maul. I mean, like the fact that he could be on the horizon is 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 a big big secret, and he's such a great character, and they're just so. So wasted by his untimely death, you know. I mean, if Vader had died in Episode Four, can you imagine that? And he just didn't come back. That would have uh, that would have sucked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it'd been a short, much much shorter story. Uh, I well, think- it just yeah, replace him with an old guy with a beard in pajamas. Uh, that, that's. 
Oh, see, that's mine. Dooku sleeps in black silk pajamas. <laughs> Biggest secret revealed of the year. Uh, or did, did it live up? Go ahead, Kyle. We're missing a few other big secrets. I think Darth Maul having a brother. I think Dooku yeah. turning on his his assassin Ventress. That was a big twist. Yeah, um, Ventress being a Jedi, I guess. Right. Yeah, this is backstory. I think a lot of there there are the second half of the season had a lot of layers. Qui Gon Jinn had some ramifications, and obviously it was something we never expected that he was um, able to commune with Obi Wan prior to. Uh, you know the the Yoda experience, but um, so there were some some definite secrets uh, in the second half of the season. I think the first half of the se- season, um, I guess, kind of you know it's a complexion thing, but that we got to see separatists from a different perspective, you know, and, and in a way, it's, uh, it's like, <laughs> what is, that's me. You want to get the separatists. <laughs> <laughs> It was a curtain back on something you don't normally get to see. So in a sense, that was another secret. I can see, you know, where they were going with it. But I would say I was expecting a few more secrets. But um, so did it live? Did it live up to the to the slogan? I think in the same context that bounty hunters did, uh, because I felt you know more than half the episodes involved bounty hunting or bounty hunter esque people um, or you know underworld. I think, uh, yeah, I'd say there were a lot of revelations and it was not on a consistent basis, but there were things within each one. I mean, like seeing future Ahsoka, you know, in a dream, things like that were things you never thought you'd get to see. Yeah. So it depends how you. Yeah. No, I agree. I think I think this I think this season absolutely lived up to the slogan. No doubt about it. Um, yeah. Much better than than season two did with Rise of the Bounty Hunters, simply because we didn't really get as much of that action as we as we thought. I thought that that Rise of the Bounty Hunters would really be about the bounty hunters truly entering into the Clone Wars in some kind of organized fashion or some kind of way. Um but uh, do, do you guys? I mean, are you guys still convinced of what they said? You know about the fact that the first half of the season was was all going to be justifiable, you know, down the road? Because I, I I just don't see how it ever could be. I just for me that that is a misfire. No, it yeah, sounds like spin. It sounds like spin to me, quite honestly. I don't buy I, it. Yeah, I don't buy it either. I, just I think, think it was the last half of the show. I think it was. A, I think it was. A, I think it. The show had 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 lost its rudder somewhere. If you go back and watch some of those episodes without the hype of what's on this Friday? Oh, I can't wait. We're all tuning in. And then <laughs> it was like, don't forget to drink your Ovaltine type moment. <laughs> Especially in light of pitch of secrets revealed, they were light on secrets revealed and the way they were portrayed. I think if you go back and watch them, there's a lot of merit to those episodes. And I wouldn't say outside of one, I wouldn't say there are any bad episodes. There's one episode in this whole series where I would say it's just bad and I don't ever need to watch it again. And that's pretty rare. And that is the Egyptian alien Snapple episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I would also say if, you know, if you're, uh, if you're looking for an entry point into this series or you're going to recommend it to a friend, um, I would say these two episodes look no further. Um, they're kind of a uh, great... Um, introduction episodes to people. I don't think they're going to be lost jumping in here, and they went above and beyond with the, the world. Um, so I love. It. All right, that's going to do it. It's going to wrap up not just the Clone Wars, but the Clone Wars roundtable for a while at least. It's been a great season. 
and a great opportunity to sit around with some of my best pals and talk Star Wars. And it's only fitting, I think, that we had you guys on the show. Big thanks, of course, to Paul Bateman. You can contact him through RalphMcCorry.com, and he's also on Twitter, at PaulRMQ. Paul, always a pleasure to talk to you, bud. Thanks, man. Likewise. Thanks for bringing your nice perspectives. Um, final thoughts on this episode, Paul, on these two episodes? I know that uh, you feel like they it. really it nailed like it the, with Chewie, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just the perfect harmony between the new stuff and the old stuff. This is just everything I would hope for. And despite me kind of raining on those few kind of dull episodes, the worst episodes of Clone Wars are better than everything else that's out there. And when it's good, there's, it just nothing beats it. Nothing. Just amazing show. And if this season's anything to go by, every season they're building on the last season four, I just, you know, can't wait. Also, thanks to Kyle Newman. Kyle can keep up with what he's doing at Twitter. He's Kyle underscore Newman. And he's got a Facebook page where he writes about all things, well, mainly Star Wars stuff. It's at facebook.com slash Kyle Newman fan page. So, be sure to check him out there. Kyle, thanks for uh, making time for us despite all your travels. Well, it's always my pleasure to come on and talk Star Wars with you guys. You guys are Star Wars experts, in my opinion, and I love hearing all your different perspectives on it. Um, you know, I'm grateful. I'm always a part of uh, you know your, your uh, circuit of guests, so I want to thank you. And I know StarWars.com has given up on uh, forums, but you can come over to my fan page. We'll call it Forcebook from now on. <laughs> on and on Facebook, we can talk Star Wars all the time, not just on roundtables, but um, we'll keep that going. And uh, I just want to say, you know, phenomenal episodes. Um, the season ended with a bang. The stuff that I got to see, the trailers online from, uh, you know, season four. Uh, with what's in the works, Akbar it looks like, yep. or somebody like him, um, and uh, I mean it's just it's just great. So you can tell like they're putting their money where their mouth is, and they're really building on everything they've done. And it's you know from what we've heard, it's chronological. So I think they've ironed out a lot of the the wrinkles from the early part of the season, and they um, are moving into very special territory, as evidenced by how they brought you know Chewbacca to life and and this world to. You know, this complex world with extra detail, more than we've ever seen on this show and on animated television, um, to life. So it's it's a very bright future. And as Paul said, the harmony, that was the most impressive between original trilogy and this animated series. About the balance. Balancing the two. Well said. All right. Jimmy Mack, final thoughts. Season three. All right. Final thoughts on Padawan Lost and Wookiee Hunt. What a great way to end an amazing season of the Clone Wars. I really like this adventure a lot from the the most dangerous game situation our heroes find themselves in to the amazing environments to the debut of Chewbacca. I love to see Ahsoka mature more as a Jedi while at the same time she's losing all those qualities that made us the audience consider her a child. I no longer look at herself as a kid like I did in seasons one and two. Sure, she's still a bit gung-ho but not in a real annoying way. In this episode, these episodes, she refused defeat and met the challenge head on while displaying confidence and leadership. And as for the planet itself, 
I was simply blown away by the density of the animation. They talk about this in Filoni's commentary on StarWars.com. The show has certainly come a long, long way since the days of the season one premiere, Ambush, which featured Yoda and the troopers marching around a planet of coral trees. Wasaka provided a vibrant atmosphere that really made these episodes come alive. And the debut of Chewbacca on the Clone Wars was simply amazing. So well animated and performed, it was Chewie. I love the interaction between Chewie and Ahsoka. And talk about well-directed. What made these episodes exciting was the pacing, the action, and then there was the consequence of loss, his experience with the death of Khalifa, shot through the back. What an incredible way to end an amazing season. And let's talk about season three for just a second. It was really the story of two seasons. The first half of the season attempted to tie up some loose ends featuring the incredible season premiere of episodes bookending the rookies to the death of Zero and the debut of Quinlan Voss. Ara Singh returned in The Assassin, and we even had a couple humorous episodes featuring Ahmet Best returning as Jar Jar, which thank God we got Ahmet back. And uh, we had another funny episode featuring the jo- droids uh, looking for a cake in a spa or something like that. <laughs> sure. And, you know, listen, granted, there may have been a couple missteps along the way. Poison Snapple, anyone? But the second half of the season certainly made up for that. It's when the series it just shot into the atmosphere, the stratosphere, starting with the Night Sister Savage Press trilogy and the Mortis and the reveals about the true nature of the Force and all the interpretation we can make from those episodes. Then you go to Tarkin and the Citadel, wrapping up with the Ahsoka Chewbacca adventure we just saw last week. From animation to story to execution, the Clone Wars has finally matured to the standards that we as fans and the show creators knew it had the potential to succeed. And I think Paul Bateman put it best when he said, screw continuity, just give me a good story. (laughs) Duke Gunray not in this season. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. The whole season, really? We did not see him once. Wow. What's awful. Yeah. There's a secret revealed. (laughs) all right guys well thanks so much for tuning in and downloading the show all season long we appreciate it very much but our pleasure to cover season three of the clone wars for you and with you thanks for inviting us in each and every week it's gonna do it for us until next season for the force cast clone wars roundtable i'm jason and i'm jimmy mack And remember, the Force will be with you, always. This podcast is not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited or 20th Century Fox and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at www.starwars.com. Star Wars, all names and sounds of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the Force.net LLC unless otherwise indicated.
When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.